Before we get to today's scripture, I uh, just want to review last week just a little bit. And again, reminding you that we're talk, talking about the gift of teaching. And I, I realize that, that uh, you know, we'll turn around and a lot of people will say, well, that's not my gift. And I believe that there are few people that really have the gift of teaching and the, and, and the sense of, of uh, what God has called and it's, and it's that we minister to each other, to the body. But all of us, all of us have the ministry of teaching. And I hadn't heard that phrase, but hadn't heard it put that way uh, before. And, and so, you know, the ministry of teaching is for the priesthood of believers. You know, Peter says that that's who we are, the priesthood of believers, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, all of us. And we are all called to share the Word of God with someone. And, and so, at some point, you're going to be an, uh, an instructor, a teacher, one conveying, explaining the Word of God. And so, it's important that we, we look at this and, and, and be aware. And in the reference to the ministry of, of teaching... Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 is uh, one of the, the scriptures that we were looking at last week. And I just want to, to remind you that it, it said uh, Paul was talking about the things of Melchizedek and, and Jesus, the great high priest. And all of a sudden he takes this little detour and he says, About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so, Paul is saying to this group of people specifically, I want to talk to you about some things and, and when it, the idea of, of things that might be hard to understand. The real reason it's hard for them to understand is because their foundation is weak. Not because it's necessarily so difficult to grasp, but that their foundation is weak. And he says, we, have to go, we need to go back to foundational things with you. You need to go back to milk. And that, just the idea that you need to go back to means that we've already done this at least once. <laughs> You know, and, and here we go again. And there is a sense that all of us ought to be teachers. Meaning that we ought to be uh, aware that, that, that God wants us to share what we do know of His Word with someone else. Uh, Levi and I were just talking uh, Friday about the word ought to here. The, the, the ought to be here is, is obligated. We're obligated. To, to, to do this. Because of what Jesus has done for us and as He has revealed through His written Word the things we need to know, as we know them, then we need to be sharing it with someone else that they can do it. And so on and so on. We even said in, the, in, in the, the, the reading today, uh, even into my old age, I want to be able to pass this on to the, to the next generation. For those of us who do have gray hair. And... and uh, you know, just that, that whole picture of, 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 of all of us called to minister in the Word of God, to teach it. The ministry of teaching. Uh, and so, what was their problem? As you'll recall last week, I spent a lot of time with this, but 
Last week it said that they were dull of hearing. To be dull of hearing is to be sluggish in your hearing or to slow in your hearing or lacking energy. It's an interesting word to put with hearing if you think about it. I'm lacking energy to listen. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's meaning that, that I'm the real intent with you tie that with sluggish is that I am so lazy I, 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 I don't have the energy to hear. That's kind of an embarrassing thing when you have to admit it, you know, in the sense that you're dull of hearing. And so Paul's making a pretty strong statement to these people. And so as I was putting things together to share with you this morning, the things that I, I want to share, I was thinking, well, if we're not, if, if dull of hearing is what we're not supposed to be, what's the opposite? What's the opposite of dull of hearing? You know, something that's, you know, we can normally, first off, you just think of dull as not sharp. <laughs> you know, something that doesn't have an edge on it. You know, uh, well, then I thought, well, something to have an edge on it. How does that happen? It happens honing. And then the idea of steel, sharp, and steel. I was going through all sorts of figures in my head with this. But the real thing I came up with was, really for me, as I look at it, the opposite of, of dull would be zealous. When you think of somebody who has a tremendous amount of energy, we say they are zealous. They, 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 they almost to the point of being overboard. Most of the time when we use the word zealous, we think of someone who is overboard. They're, 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 they're zealous for their cause, and we think like they're, they're, they're consumed by it. But in this case, zealous is a good word because we are to be consumed by the Word of God. We are to be consumed by it because it's our it's our very the very essence of our of our of our faith in the sense of, of of who we are. We're the people of the word. And we're not to be ashamed of it. We're to be excited about it and excited about what it's done. I think of all the times in and, and I, I think I found myself over the years being one of the you know, what's the term, a wet blanket? You know, you, you, you put a wet blanket over a fire to do what? To, to put it out, okay? And, and, and when I was first pursuing Christ in the sense of, of I had been, you know, gone to church, I was baptized, uh, I was seeking after the face of God and trying to figure out how to put it all together in my life, Kathy and I together, uh, pretty much within a couple of weeks span of time are accepting the Lord and being baptized and and we just you know you couldn't you couldn't seem to get enough and I wasn't the only one in our congregation we had a very active young adult if you will group of people there was lots of young people that had just recently come to the Lord our uh, the pastor it's it's one of those peculiar things the pastor when he get in the pulpit he was not you know he, he, was, he was replaced, if you will, at one point because he just wasn't dynamic enough. And how they missed the fact that the church was full and in a new building because of his ministry, you know, that God had used him for. Because he could one-on-one -on -one with young people. And he got other teachers to come along and, and, and do the same. And it was just, uh, we were excited about it. And, and every now and then, you know, how when you are zealous and excited and exuberant, you know, you're saying, well, why don't we do this? Or why don't we do that? And, and periodically that person would come along and say, you'll calm down. You'll calm down. 
you'll finally get settled in, 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 in this routine with your faith. You know, you'll calm down. And I realized that I, I've, I've caught myself saying the same thing. Now, it was interesting. People who were excited like I was and a few others that I know, they shipped us off to Bible college. Because, you know, you're the, if, if we can't calm you down, then you must supposed to be a preacher or a missionary. Yeah. And, and, but the reality was is that we were just hungry and thirsty. We're all supposed to be that. And so, uh, I, I still get excited about the Word of God. I get excited about sharing it. I get excited about reading it. And especially because how often I read something and find out, now I get it. 30 years later, now I get it. Or now I understand it better. Or now I even have to sometimes say, I can't believe I believe that. <laughs> you know, uh, you know it's being zealous for the Word, to be full of energy, to be on fire. And this is applied to all believers. The desire to hear, apply, and grow in the Word is it's, it's, you know, the paramount to us. Paul put it in, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 9-10, uh, a prayer to the, to the, uh, for the Colossian people that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God. And what that is, is it's a cycle, an increasing cycle. You're filled with the knowledge of of God and His will. And as you see it and you study it and you you look at it, as you hunger and thirst after it and grow in it, you start to affect how you walk. And you walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. And it starts to bear fruit. Why? Because you're sharing it with someone else. You are teaching. And you may be using actions as well as deeds, but you know, words and deeds. And it starts to bear fruit. And as a result, I believe it creates more hunger and thirst on your part. And so you increase in knowledge of God, which would absolutely start to cause you to walk even closer to the Lord, which would cause you to bear even more. And it's, just, it's a cyclical thing that's supposed to be going on in us. It's constant. It should be constant in our life, in our growth, in our pursuit of God. So, we should be passing our faith along to others. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 18, 19, and 20, as well as uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, talk about the body coming together in songs and, and, and hymns and, and spiritual songs and ministering one to another. And encouraging one another to walk in the Lord, ministering to one another. And so we're all called to be involved in this ministry. And like I said, the ministry of teaching, we are all called to be doing. Now, today's Scripture uh, is, is an area that I want to look at uh, is in reference to our children specifically. And the question always comes down to, you know, whose responsibility is the raising of our children. And I have shared on this before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it, but, but it's very clear. Well, you could actually go first off and understand, do you perceive or see children as a blessing? I hope so. Psalm 
127 calls them a blessing. It even calls them like arrows, and, is, and blessed is the man who has a quiver full. There's a, quite a debate as to what a quiver full means. Uh, but, but the idea is, is that uh, you know, children are a blessing. God has counted them as a blessing, and as a result, they, they are also an, an important responsibility. Children are, I, I want to be, sounds almost like I'm, I'm merchandising it here for a moment, but they are a tremendous resource. In fact, I'm not sure we have anything more valuable than, our, than the children. And the Scripture over and over and over again instructs us in reference to things about, our, about children, at least in the sense of raising them up in the right way. Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, is a, a Scripture that uh, is common to us. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you, command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in their house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That picture of... of, of the importance to teach our children. And you look at that. Uh, first off, just a quickie is, is the flashback of the Scripture coming from uh, that Jesus actually quotes the Scripture in Matthew chapter 22 when he's challenged to, to make a comment as to what's the greatest commandment. He quotes this passage. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, if you're keeping those, you're keeping the whole of the commandments of the commandments of God. And, and, and so that picture of, of loving God, loving each other, ministering to one another, and then teaching your children. And you notice that it, it, if you look at it carefully, it it's, covers the, the spectrum of the daytime. When they get up, when, in the middle of the day, and when, when they go to bed, you, we are constantly to be aware of the reality that our children are observing us. And we are teaching them constantly. I am amazed at times, you know, uh, over the years uh, with my own kids, with, uh, with you know, other kids, a lot of my ministry has been with children. And uh, I, it's amazing some of the things that they say. And you have to figure out where they may have heard it. And... Uh, my, I, I've shared, you know, my granddaughter, one of her current phrases is, relax, Papa. Well, she, you know, she's, and she says it with the right tone of voice, and she says it at the right time. So, you know, she's heard that if you're getting too excited about things, and, and from her perspective, she's assessing what that means as to being too excited about something, and, and normally it's trying to get her going. Uh, in the direction that she needs to go. There's no problem getting her going. The problem is getting her going in the direction she needs to go. And relax, Papa. <laughs> what? Yeah, and, and so uh, they're watching constantly. They're listening constantly. She's only two years old. You know, and she's picking up these, these things. I, I, I've heard some, some kids' first words are things that I can't repeat from the pulpit. They're, they're constantly observing and listening. 
So it's around the clock that we're teaching it. But it, that's just to know that they're watching and listening. But we are supposed to be actually telling them things in reference to what God has done. Do your kids know your personal testimony? Do they know what, how you came to know the Lord? Do they know the things that God has done in your life maybe before they were ever born? Have you shared with them how God has ministered? Have you shared with them the things that you know to be true in the Word of God? I recall my daughter sitting down. Uh, she was playing with a bunch of pieces, odd ends of, of wood that I had just cut through uh, making some things on the, and using the bandsaw. And I had a number of odd-shaped pieces of wood. She loved to play with those things. Uh, and and she would, I'd get her a piece of wood and, and a little glue dish, a dish full of glue and a little glue brush, and she'd start building things. You know, and she, they didn't, you couldn't really, until you had her explain what it was, you weren't sure what you were looking at, but she built cities. She built, and then one day she's holding one of these little pieces, and it was kind of shaped like this. And she came up and she said, point blank, she tugs at me, I stop working, I listen to her. Papa, or Dad, you know, what is that triangle thing again? I'm thinking about triangle thing. You know about Jesus and 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 the the, the and God. And she couldn't articulate it all. And I said, the Holy, you know, the the the, the Trinity, you know, because her and it wasn't me that had taught her this. It was a gal by the name of Martha McCaleb. She wanted to know something. How did that work again? Where's God? Here's you know. And, and, and I sat down to the best of my ability and tried to explain to her the Trinity. Now, she may not have grasped anything I said that day. I can't tell. I don't know what went in and stayed and what didn't at this point. But just the fact that she was asking. Are we providing an environment where our kids are even curious? I think it's important to think about it. Now, as far as, as growing up, our kids are going to do it. <laughs> I mean, I think we all uh, agree to that. You know, it's going to happen. And there are certain things that are involved in growing up. Even Jesus had to grow up. I know that a lot of times we don't think about that. But he had to grow in every aspect that any child grows. And people say, well, yeah, but he was God in the flesh, and, and you know, but he was fully man <laughs> in every way. He was, you know, I tell people, you think about it, when he was born, do you think he cried ever? Do you think that if he was running as he learned to walk and he tried to run and he fell, that he skinned his knees, do you figure it probably bled? Yeah, I. You think when he talked, he came out of the womb saying, "Thus saith the Lord," or do you think he learned to talk just like every other kid learns to talk? You see, he went through all of those things. In fact, Luke chapter two, verses fifty-one and fifty-two talk about it. it says, and this is when Jesus was twelve, and this is what we know of eighteen years of Jesus's life. They, you know, they like to call it the missing eighteen years. It's not really missing. Here it is. And he went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. 
And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus, here's what happened for the next 18 years, Jesus increased, increased, okay, in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. Isn't that an interesting phrase for the Son of God? He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And the and, and first time I really think I understood this was from a, a, a guy by the name of Whitney Prattney, uh, uh, who who's ded- had de- dedicated his life to teaching youth. And he was teaching a, a youth seminar at the point that, that, that he said this and that I heard it. And, and, and it was that what, what God is saying here is, is that in wisdom means in, in, in the sense of understanding how the world is around you. The environment, the, the you know, the the um, the knowledge of 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 the, of the earth, growing, kind of like almost might say growing academically, and in stature means physically. He physically grew, his bones grew, his feet grew, you know, he grew taller. He he, he physically in stature he grew, he grew in years is another way of phrasing that, that word. But it, it means the idea of physically grew. And then he grew in favor with God and men. It means he grew in the sense of his relationship with the Father. And he grew socially in relationship with people. Those are really, think about it. You're kind of, your, if you will, your academic environment, your, your wisdom, knowledge, and how to put it together. You know? And, and growing in the physical sense of, of biologically. And growing in the sense of faith and, and religion, if you will, for the moment. And, and growing in the, in the idea of, of, of social interaction. That is the process that all of our kids are going to go through. And they are going to go through it. I've seen some parents try to hold it back. I, I, I always made the comment my daughter would ask me when she started getting about 12, 13, 14 along in there. Very anxious. First off, the first thing that had happened that I said had not come to pass. I, you know, I'd said, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, before my daughter's a teenager, and obviously not a prophet. Uh, and my my daughter, uh, she she moves ahead, and so she's not getting to that age group. When do I get my driver's license, Dad? How old do I have to be? And I said, Well, you get your driver's license right after your first prom when you're 32. You know, I want to keep her young forever. I wanted to keep her my little girl forever. You know, she went ahead and grew up and, and you know, and, and got married, has kids, and, and has got her own world in life that she lives in. And so the reality is, is that they're going to do this. It's going to happen. And in the process, who is initially responsible for what they carry into their adult years? From what I can see in Deuteronomy and in other scriptures, is ultimately it's the parents. The parents are the ones responsible. Train up a child in the way he should go. You're familiar with that scripture. Fathers, as we're told to, to uh, raise them in the, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In Isaiah. We're told that, that uh, 
Uh, and and, and you've got to understand in the Scripture in chapter 28, it's actually Isaiah is admonishing the people because they're having to return to learn like children. Okay? But he says they learn line, well, sorry, they learn precept upon precept, line upon line. I know some of you probably heard of that. You know, and the idea is, is that they, they learn in a growing foundational kind of way. The easiest way, and I love it because they do pictures for me, you know, even in Scripture. <laughs> line upon line is dealing with the Mason's line. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that term, but a Mason, he, when he's laying brick, he stretches out a line that is level, and he brings his bricks when he's laying them out on, on a, for a foundation. He lays them out, you know, and makes sure you know, when he puts the mortar in and everything, that everything comes right up to that line evenly. And when that line is set, he then moves the line up, line upon line, he moves the line up and sets the next layer. That's how we learn in layers, line upon line. And I know some people are, are today, some of the modern teachings that wants to throw out rote memory type stuff. And well, we want our kids to understand why two plus two is four. And so we're going to focus more on that than the actual memorizing of it, you know, this type of thing. Don't, that's, I'm not joking about that being some of the teaching process. You learn first, 2 plus 2 is 4. 11 times 6 is 66. 11 times 13 is 143. You learn those things first as a foundational thing, and then you learn how to use them. Okay? So line upon line. First, I learn the truth is to the ability to understand them. And some of them I'm just going to memorize. Some of them I'm just going to learn, because, and not, I'm not going to really understand them. But at some point, as I get older, then all of a sudden I get to take one of these things that I've memorized and turn around and apply it. They say, oh, wow. And I might not ever say, oh, wow, in reference to math especially. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you, you know, we learn line upon line, precept upon precept. And so that's the process that we go through. And the parents are the ones that are responsible for seeing what is learned. And we learn the commandments. We learn the values of our, of our, of our belief systems. We our basic faith principles. The things that will be on our belief windows for life. We, under, we learn eventually in the reference to all of that. What it is to understand repentance and death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And, and to understand His grace. The teaching is the parent's responsibility. But... It's not the only source of teaching for our children. The parents are responsible for what they learn, but the, 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 the bottom line is, is that it's not the only source of learning that our children will receive. And by the way, the, even who's responsible for the learning is in contention today. The state of California... Uh, of course, I could go into other states as well, uh, or have an idea about what my children should know. And if I am not interested in them knowing some of those things, their position is they need to know this. And there are some things that are taught today in public school. I don't believe my kids need to know, at least at the point they're being taught, for sure. And so the state has some idea about, you know, 
they're, be, they're getting into the position of mandating a lot of things that, that our kids need to learn. And if our kids aren't learning them, you know, we're depriving them in some way. Uh, back in Dayton, Ohio, and this was years ago now, a, a family being sued uh, by a school district because of the fact that their kids were at church all the time in children's ministries, youth group and stuff like that, children's ministries at this point all the time, plus they homeschooled. And they used Christian literature and materials to homeschool. As a result, the lawsuit read, they were depriving their children of the freedom to be able to choose. The lawsuit didn't go anywhere. Just the fact that it got written and received and had to be addressed tells you that there's something wrong in that sense. So I want to, we need to understand there's other things vying for the influence of teaching our children. But it is our responsibility as parents to make sure what sinks, what sticks. Now, babe, please don't misunderstand. There is absolutely no way you are going to save your children in the sense of salvation. There's a point in time where that's between them and God and how that works. But you will be held accountable as to how you set the table for them to receive the things of God as parents. We do the best we can. I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but it is our responsibility. There's a great book, Give Them Grace, by Elise Fitzgerald. Recommended if you want to, even for hindsight looking back. It's a great book to give you uh, ideas about teaching and, 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 and ministering to children. Um, and so I was writing down here, what are all the other store, sources where my kids are influenced, where they learn how they get information? Obviously, I could just said the state is, is one in the sense of academic environments. Uh, and social, they teach social environments from the state point of view. And, and when I say the state point of view, meaning situation ethics. They, they do not apply from a biblical point of view. And I, I noticed when Brad read that thing about the, the idea of, of prayer uh, on Memorial Day, we all went, huh. Because we know the state is not interested in us dealing with our faith in a direct way. Our, kid, our kids learn from other kids. <laughs> I can't tell you the things I learned from Robert Shecker and Dave Roberts. I wish I didn't remember them. But then their parents would have told you, we don't want our son hanging around with Bob Hapgood. So, I'm sure they saw the, you know, what, however I might have been influencing them as well. But we were inseparable. And we figured out a lot of life mysteries together. <laughs> and, my, and my parents uh, weren't really interested in taking the responsibility. And so we relished in the opportunity to be our own teachers. So children's a great influence. Extended family. 
grandparents are a great influence, aunts, uncles, family, friends that you call family because they're so close in your family. I put another list of things here. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, sports, military. You know, when our kids go into the, the military, uh, they learn a whole thing about life and lifestyle and things. Some of it may be very contrary to the foundational truths of God. You know, so you, you realize there's all these influences. Uh, and then I, I put the, the uh, last, but certainly not the least influ- influential, media. And there's so much that goes into that. I'm not going to get into it other than you could just say TV. Music, film, internet, games. You know, today, my kids, my grandkids, you can get in a a question about something and and something I don't know. And in seconds, they have looked it up on the internet on their phone. I get partway to doing that and then there's something that comes up on my screen and it won't leave. Until I turn my phone off and start over again, I you know I, I don't know where I missed a button someplace or somewhere, and, and, and frequently it's another thing that comes up as I'm trying to get to the internet, you know, uh, I, I, so I, I barely can get there with my smartphone, um, and and but my grandsons, boop, 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 boop. just you know, internet's extremely powerful. And I, I wrote down next to all of these things that influence from parents' responsibility to other children to civic organizations and groups like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you know, sports, that type of thing, to media. And I put next to this, whose influence is the strongest? And then I used, an, I, I used a computer term. Who is the default teacher for my children? In other words, you know, where where do they automatically go when everything else is going? Where do they automatically go to get an answer? I think that's an interesting thought. Who's the default teacher around them? Would... Within the framework of this, for me, where does the church fit into this picture? And I I wanted to make sure we understood this today. The church is not responsible for the raising of your children. It's not responsible for the raising of the children in the congregation. That is never to be usurped from the parents. Period. However, we should, as a church, come alongside the parents to assist, to aid, to encourage. Church should be an extended family where parents are trained by parents who have gone ahead of them. Scripture talks about older teaching the younger in so many categories and stuff. And it should, there should be that opportunity of, of training and raising up parents, giving them help and understanding how to parent to the best of, of their ability and, and, and what they have and, and their kids and all that. And, and it's an ex- 
coming from the extended family, coming alongside. I think of when we do baby dedications. I don't know if you've ever paid any attention to what I'm doing, but when I do a baby dedication, I start off with the parents and the baby up here. And then, most often, if you do a baby dedication, there's a number of family people who've never, you know, never come to, they maybe go to other churches or don't go to church at all, but they're here. And I will have them stand. And I know as much as possible, and, and, and I know that if they don't know Christ, it, it, it's limited, but I, I still believe they should be challenged to assume responsibility to be good role models for this, this, this baby. Since they believe enough in that baby and that parent to be here to see the baby dedication, then they, I, will, I believe they should be challenged to be a part of that baby's environment in a good way. Then the last thing I do is I ask all of you to stand and to take the challenge to be a good testimony of Christ for that child. And whatever way we can to assist the parent in bringing the child up in the admonition of nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Not to take over, not to, to assume the responsibility, but to come alongside. And uh, realize as a congregation that there is a battle for our children and their minds in our culture. And it's, it's a major battle Who's going to be the strongest influence? Who's going to be the default teacher? Some of it changes by, by demographics uh, and, and, and geographic locations and, and some things of culture and, 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 and different things will change some of the influence. But overall, there's a battle for our children's minds. Just as there's a battle for our minds, there's a battle for our children's minds. Jesus said this is extremely important. I, I think of the way he looked at the uh, at children. You know, the, the inviting them to be a part of, of what was going on around him. Let the children come to me uh, was words that Jesus used. He said in one situation, it says, the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray and the disciples rebuked the people. He said, oh no, this is, you know, we don't do children at this time. This is the grown-up time. <laughs> We don't do children here. This is not the, and that's what they meant by here. They rebuked them. And Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and, and then he went away. That's a pretty profound thing he did because that was definitely not in with the culture of things. His disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. Again, in Matthew, uh, this time chapter 18. And at the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put on the, in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Pretty powerful statement. But whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, to pull away, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus puts a very high value on our children. 
as a congregation, we should put an equally high value on our children. I want to encourage you. You may not. You you, you may have had your your you know your your now grandparenting. You know, uh, it doesn't call any of us to be released from the children that God brings into our influence in this congregation. I want to I want to challenge all of you to be ministers, if you will, to the children. To open up your your heart to the idea that God might use you to actually teach the children. To literally get involved with a curriculum and teaching the children. Again, not usurping the power of the parents, but coming alongside. And as our children, you know, we look at it, and we're looking around right now, just a little while ago, this place was, was kind of vibrating. Okay? And it's going to vibrate again in just a few minutes. And they're all, there's, it's all at a fairly young age right now. But as they grow older, their, their needs are going to change. The need for instruction is going to change. The ability, the need for people to come alongside them in different ways and change, is going to change. I want you to be committed to that. It's no small importance. Sometimes maybe, I've been in churches where children's budgets and children's ministries and, and things like that uh, are some of the first things to get slashed when things get tight. As I look at it as I'm going through this, I'm beginning to think it should be the last thing that's cut. Where's the biggest emphasis in, 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 in resources in a church, in a local congregation? Where's the biggest emphasis? Well, you're in it right now. Most of the energy goes to this moment. A lot of the resources go to this moment. Is that wrong? No. But we want to make sure we're doing our part for our children. Encouraging our parents, coming alongside them, training them, helping them, assisting them. And, and, and then coming alongside the, the, with the, as teaching and ministering to their kids. Again, I come back to it. It's such an important resource. Wouldn't it be great if the default teacher was a Sunday school teacher? Or, or I mean, I know it should be the parents, but, but so often the kids want to rebel against that. <laughs> but I was reading story after story after story these last couple of weeks of kids who grew up and they can remember a Sunday school teacher that when they, they ran into a problem, they could go and ask. How awesome is that? It warms my heart. And I'll tell you, I can't count the number of times in my ministry where I have been, for a season at least, the default teacher. And... I think about who do you want in that position, you know, as parents, you know, and then, you know, it's a, we really want a concert going on. We want the parents and the church together. And then when you want to tie in the academic picture, that's something that you're going to have to wrestle with, folks. <laughs> you really are. Uh, you know, because, uh, and I, I put it this way, when your kids are in public school, you've got a great task ahead of you. But quite candidly, I don't care if they're in Christian school. You've got a great task ahead of you. I don't care if you're homeschooling. You've got a great task ahead of you. Yeah. And, and so uh, 
you're going to have to figure out how to, you're going to deal with all of that. You know, you know, most of you know me. I'm a proponent of, of Christian education in, in the format of homeschooling and or Christian school. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact that at some point, the kids are still going to deal with the world. You know, and they're going to be exposed through their friends. And quite interestingly enough, even in some of the most protected environments, at least we think they are protected, our children are exposed to things that we never would have thought of. So, I don't know. It seems like I, I did more shotgunning this morning than anything else. I guess the thing I want to emphasize is how precious our children are. How exciting it is to have so many of them here. But it is a responsibility for all of us. Some way to get behind it and encourage it, support it, and, and, and work towards helping the parents be everything they can be so that they can raise their children to be everything they can be before God. In the admonition, the nurture of the Lord. Some of the very foundational things of teaching. We do go over again and again. Because it is the right thing to do. But as we come to the table, for instance, we, we rehearse, if you will, a number of things. We, we look back and we, we remember what Christ has done. We look at, at the current and realize what He is doing. And we even look ahead as to what He is going to do in His coming back. Because He asked us to do the, the, the Lord's Supper until He returns. And so, here's one of these things that becomes a great teacher and a reminder for all of us. And at some point, parents first are responsible to teach their kids about this. I think parents need to think about how are you going to approach explaining what communion is to your children. And, and letting them know what goes on. And if they're in the service and, they, and they're, they're not yet accepting the Lord, why you don't let them participate yet? type of thing. So I'd ask the uh, ushers to come forward to uh, pass out the emblems. Hold until we've all been served and we'll share together.
Jesus was betrayed. He took bread from the meal and he gave thanks to the Father and then broke it and passed it to the disciples. And he said, from now on, and I'll be kind of paraphrased now, from now on, as often as you take of this bread, remember that it's, it's my flesh. It represents my flesh that has been given for you, that's been broken for you. And I want you to do this in remembrance of me, he would tell them, and, and, and again until he comes again. Let's share the bread together. Holding the cup of wine before them, announcing that, that picture that's so graphic. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Referring to the blood that would purchase the covenant of grace. And again, he asked us to do it as often as we did in remembrance of him until he returns. 
Father, we thank you that we can come to you this morning with a confidence that as we come to this table to know that as we confess sin, you forgive us. As we rest in you, you because you have saved us, we don't only rest now, but we rest with confidence in you eternally. To know that we know that we are saved. To know that we have your grace covering us. Lord, put us in our put in our hearts the, the zealousness for you. That literally, what First Corinthians or what Colossians chapter three verse seventeen says that in word and deed we would do all that we do, all that we say, with you in mind for your purpose to your glory. Thank you again, Father, for the, the love that you've poured out on us. 